Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Light of the East is also funded by a grant from the Koch Foundation. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host, and we are in a liturgical baton race. Remember the baton races? I always remember them most familiarly with the Olympic races. To me, they were the most exciting, watching the Olympics and the baton races. That's one of my favorite, the baton races, because you have four runners, and they have to run in a relay you know, around the track, and they have to then pass the baton to the next runner until the final runner crosses the finish line holding the baton. They have to hold that baton, and they have to carry that across the finish line. They can't drop it. That's the worst thing can happen if you drop the baton. But it's all in the passing, passing of the baton from one runner to the next. The reason why that is so tricky is because the runner who's passing the baton has to actually keep running while the runner ahead of him starts out running. In other words, he just doesn't stand there and gets the baton. The next runner has to start running. So the previous runner has to catch up to him and hand that baton successfully while they're both running at full pace. That's one of the reasons I always like that baton race, that particular relay. But that's actually what's happening now in the liturgical life in many Eastern Catholic churches, certainly in mine, the Byzantine Catholic Church. We're kind of in a pass a baton race, but both runners, so to speak, are going at the same time, just like in the baton race in the Olympics. In other words, what's happening is this descending part of the mystery of Christ, in other words, his incarnational season, his coming among us, starting back with Christmas, the nativity, and his theophany, the epiphany, all those events are now coming to their fullness in terms of the descending cycle with the upcoming feast of the presentation of our Lord in the temple. It is also called in the Eastern churches the encounter of our Lord with Simeon. See, there's always a couple levels, layers of meaning in these great feasts. But at the same time, what's happening is we're beginning then, like the second runner who's starting to run out already, but he has to still grab the baton from the previous runner. We're actually looking forward now and getting hints of what's going to be the ascending cycle of the liturgical year, of the life of Christ. In other words, we're going to go into Lent, follow Christ 
then all the way to Calvary, where he will die, but then rise up and then ascend up and take us to heaven. So there's a conversion, a sort of a confluence, a passing of the baton between this descending action that we've enjoyed now for a few months and the upcoming ascending action. But first, we're going to go through a little bit of a penitential period. I would make that as an analogy to the runners, that critical moment when they pass a baton. That's kind of like their penance, their Lent, because that's a really tense moment, and you don't want to drop that baton. It's all in that passing of the baton. Well, it's the same thing here. There's a critical transitional time, and that's going to be the Lenten penitential season as we enter into then the ascending season, Christ's resurrection and ascension. Now, this passing of the baton, this confluence of the descending and the ascending, has with it certain significant feast days. Right now, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we're celebrating the feast of, this will be on January 30th, the feast of the three holy hierarchs. You may recall earlier, I mentioned that these three great fathers of the Eastern Church, St. Gregory the Theologian, St. Basil the Great, and St. John Chrysostom, all had a commemoration this past month of January, a commemoration of their own. Now they bring them all together. And the reason for this, you may recall, is that there was a a fight. (laughs) There were some rivalries as to who was the greatest among them. In other words, they had kind of like fans, you know, (laughs) crowds that follow them like they do with sports figures today. They felt that John Christentum was greater than Basil and vice versa, and Gregory was greater than all three, etc., etc. It went back and forth and actually created trouble in the Byzantine Empire among the people. They began into bar fights in regard to who was the greatest. (laughs) So what happened was the church arrived at this compromise. Look, they said, all three are equally great. And we're going to celebrate them all together, even though they have their individual feast days, we're going to celebrate them all together on January 30th. And so we do. But now, if we look at the liturgical text for this, and this is again when we see that confluence, the passing of the baton, we're going to see the mention of both things. First, we have the feast day of the hierarchs themselves. And we sing many beautiful things about them. For example, Having come together with songs of praise, O lover of feasts, let us praise the bishops of Christ and the glory of the fathers, the pillars of the faith, the teachers and defenders of the faithful. Let us cry out to them, Rejoice, O luminary of the church, an immutable pillar, O wise basil. Rejoice, O heavenly mind and great hierarch, Gregory the theologian. Rejoice, O golden-voiced fathers, never cease to pray to Christ in behalf of those who with faith and love observe your sacred and sublime feast. Now, this is the kind of a, a transitional moment here. We're celebrating the hierarchs. But also on this Sunday, just before this year, it's coming before the Feast of the Hierarchs, we're celebrating or observing the gospel story of the publican and the Pharisee. You remember that story where the publican was very humble. He stood in the back of the temple, didn't even raise his eyes up, and he struck his breast, just asking God for repentance. Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. The Pharisee went to the very front of the church, and he was doing his duty. He thought he was a righteous man, which he was, according to the Jewish tradition at that time, but he was kind of boastful about it. And of course, the moral of the story is, is that the humble publican, who would have been seen as an outcast by the Pharisee, he was the one that was justified. Now, this is the second of the four preparatory Sundays leading up to the period of Lent, the great fast in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. So you see, we're getting a hint at what is to come of that 
penitential period, which is the transition into the ascending action of Christ's life, the liturgical calendar. And we're at the same time kind of saying our last little greeting and goodbye to the descending with this celebration, the observance of Christ being presented into the temple, being presented to the elder Simeon. That's why it's called the presentation, but also the encounter of our Lord with Simeon. In fact, to show you how clever the church is, especially in her liturgical text, here we are January 30th, praying and celebrating the three holy hierarchs. And just before that, of course, was the Sunday of the public and the Pharisee. Now we have on this January 30th, we have a little hint of what is to come. In other words, the last part of the descending action, because we pray this on the feast of the holy hierarchs. In addition to praises for them themselves, we say this. Today, Christ is being carried into the temple as an infant. Today, he who gave the law to Moses comes under the law. The angelic hosts were amazed when they saw him, who supports all things, being held in the arms of an aged man. Simeon, filled with reverence and joyfully cried out, Now dismiss me, O Savior, from the temporal life, and let me enter the repose which never grows old, for I have seen you, and I now rejoice." These words taken from the scripture from Luke's gospel as he accounts this event are an ancient, they form an ancient prayer in the church. Now you may dismiss your servant of the Lord, for my eyes have seen the light of revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of Israel. This is the chant, the prayer sung by Simeon as he beheld Christ in his arms. Now can you imagine, this is a devout Jew who's awaiting the coming of the Messiah. And here, this elderly man, live long enough by God's providence to be able to hold the Messiah himself, who is God himself, in his hand. And that's why he says, now you may dismiss your servant of the Lord because my eyes have seen. In other words, what else is there to live for? I have seen the Messiah held him in my hands. And he, of course, is God and man. So this verse, which is talking about the feast day, which isn't here yet, is already giving us a hint even though we're still in January, this feast day is in February, the beginning of February, it gives us a hint of what is to come. In fact, it uses a term, if you noticed while I was reading it, today Christ is being carried into the temple as an infant. Today he who gave the law to Moses comes under the law. See, that word today is very significant when we use that in the prayers of the church, especially for feast days, because the feast days, the holy days, in fact, liturgy itself, the whole life of the church, this is why it's so essential to be part of the life of the church. It transcends time. In other words, in a sense, past, present, and future become one. It's a kind of a timelessness that we enter into precisely and by virtue of the liturgical life of the church. In other words, this event, even though it's coming up, we speak of it as if it's happening today because we're anticipating it and there is no past, present, future when it comes to these events, because we enter into them in the church through the liturgy of the church, the prayer, the customs, the ancient customs, the ancient prayer, good for all times. We enter into this feast day through that liturgy as though it were in fact happening now. When I say as though, I don't mean pretend. We're not pretending. As though means it is happening now. And that's why we use the word in the liturgical prayer of the church for feast days, today, 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 today. So the sense of timelessness is conveyed to us. We're immersed in it 
through the liturgy of the church. Think of the Eucharist. When we celebrate the Eucharist, we're not sacrificing Jesus every time, as some of our opponents say. We are entering into that one and only first Last Supper, or as we like to call it in the Eastern Church, the mystical supper. That body and blood of Christ is the same body and blood of Christ that the apostles themselves partook of in that upper room in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this conversion of the descending and ascending moments in the liturgical life of the church, the life of Christ, the great baton race. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Every day, Father Loya posts a brief two-minute Facebook video on the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish homepage. You'll be amazed at what you can learn just by watching. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at ByzantineCatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyo, your host. In fact, welcome back to our liturgical baton race. It's the passing of the baton from the incarnational season, the descending action of our Lord, as we mentioned, a little transition in between, and then the ascending action, which will take us all the way to the throne of God in heaven. Uh, do you realize that? Think about that. Whenever I say that to people, especially when I'm giving homilies on this, I can look out of the people's faces and I see them just sort of like, almost like befuddled. They don't think of that. That humanity has been mounted on the very throne of God in heaven. That's right. Humanity, human nature is on the throne. God did not just shed his human nature. Jesus Christ took that human nature with him. He is divine. He is God. 
the same time took on that human nature and he brought it to heaven, which means he brought us there. Isn't that incredible? You know, it's mind-boggling. It's so humbling beyond any comprehension that God would do that, would so condescend and then ascend and take us with him to the heights, the heights of heights. And why? Why all of that? That long, purposeful process and plan of God to, as we say during the period of Christmas, the incarnational season, God's humiliation of himself, his condescending. Why would he do that and then take us to the heights? He did it in response to our sin, our rebellion. When we contemplate that, what other response can we have but to be humble to the point of falling in love with God, being grateful and repentant? See, this is the genius. This is necessity, not just only the genius, but the necessity of being part of the liturgical life of the church. In other words, of going to church and partaking of the feast days, not only the Sundays, but the holy days, reading the scripture of those events, reading any kind of commentary by the saints, any meditations, because it draws you into this reality, this reality of what God has done for us. And the only response is gratitude and repentance. Now, What's coming up, as I mentioned, the feast of the presentation of our Lord in the temple, also called the encounter with Simeon. Why is it called by more than one term? Well, because there's more than one significant thing going on here. And I'm going to draw upon one of the one of our great standard books, one of our go-to sources here at Light of the East Studios, The Liturgical Year of the Byzantine Slavonic Rite by Father Basil Shenegi of Blessed Memory, a great scholar of our church. He wrote this beautiful book about the feast days. And he reminds us that this feast day of the encounter of our Lord with Simeon in the temple was the action of Jesus and his mother and Joseph fulfilling their Jewish faith, the Old Testament prescriptions. As it says in Father Shedigi's book, according to the Mosaic law, a mother who had been given birth to a boy was considered unclean for seven days, then for 33 days was excluded from public worship. So you see, there you have that number 40, 40 days. The child was brought to the temple to be consecrated, given to God after 40 days. 40 is always a significant number in the scripture and therefore in the church and life of Christ. Now, sometimes when we hear this phrase that the woman was considered unclean for seven days after birth, we sometimes, by today's standards, look at that kind of, well, gee, that's sort of a put that on women. What do you mean they're, they're unclean when they gave birth? Actually, what that means is they went through something that was very, very special, in a sense, almost miraculous or heavenly, giving birth. And so they had to basically re-enter into a more natural or normal state. And also there was the loss of blood. And the loss of blood in the thinking of the Old Testament people was a kind of a bit of a loss of life. Just like the woman really is, well, she's not cleaning herself up like she's unclean in that sense. It meant that she's kind of re-entering, restoring herself. And there's also something very practical about that. I oftentimes wonder a little bit, nowadays, these young mothers will bring their children to church, their newborn babies, very soon. Usually that was one of those things you just never did. You never brought that child out of the house until it was time to be baptized. And that's something similar with this 40 days. The 40 days is also a time of regeneration for the mother. Let's face it, she's been through something. She needs to heal and get her strength back physically. It's a way of protecting the child, to make sure the child is strong enough to be exposed to the elements or other people. And also, 
there was a fear that this child, if it were to somehow, unfortunately, God forbid, be killed or something before baptism. So they wanted to make sure that child never was endangered at all until it was brought to church for baptism. That was in the 40-day period. So when the appointed 40 days were passed, the Virgin Mary was expected to offer sacrifice for her purification, a lamb for a holocaust, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. In case of poverty, however, two young pigeons or turtle doves would suffice. The priest then prayed for her, purifying her and restoring her to her former status. You see that? It's not about her being unclean like we think of it. This law comes from Leviticus chapter 12 in the Old Testament. Sacred Scripture tells us that the Mother of God fulfilled this law despite the fact that considering the spirit of this legal enactment, she was not bound to it. Mary was the chaste spouse of the Holy Spirit and virgin in giving birth to her son. Yet the Holy Spirit inspired her to comply with this law, and she fulfilled the law of God, embracing it with her whole heart. So she did just as she did with Christ at his circumcision. Together, the Holy Family submitted themselves to a law they didn't really have to submit to, especially Jesus, and in this case, the Virgin Mary, because they were above and beyond it. But they did anyway. Again, part of that descending action that humility of God, being humble to be among us, to bring us to an intimate relationship with him, and then he would save us. The second aspect of this feast is the presentation of Jesus in the temple. By another ordinance of the Mosaic law, every firstborn son was considered as belonging to God and had to be brought back by an offering. The mother of God fulfilled this also. She brought Jesus to the temple to present him according to the command of the Lord, that every male opening the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Just as a little personal and side note, I am the oldest son, the first son of my family. There were five children in my family. I'm the oldest son. I became a priest. And I remember my mother recounting how at my baptism, the priest held me up. It's called the churching. Kind of held me up as if almost to offer me. It was part of the churching custom. Went all the way back to the early centuries of the church. And I became a priest. Situation kind of complied with this biblical prescription that the first son would belong to God. According to the Gospels, on the same occasion as the presentation of the child Jesus, another significant encounter took place. There was then living in Jerusalem an old man, Simeon by name, whose heart longed unceasingly for the Messiah. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that he should not die without first seeing the Lord's anointed. Led by the Holy Spirit, Simeon went to the temple. At the time, Mary and Joseph were bringing in the child Jesus. Mary, guided by the same Holy Spirit, welcomed the saintly man and placed her divine son in his trembling hands. His happiness was so great that in his joy he sang a canticle, Now do you dismiss your servant, Lord, according to your word, in peace, because my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light of revelation of the Gentiles and glory of your people Israel. This is from Luke chapter 2, verse 29 to 32. Now beside Simeon, the prophetess Anna, Phanuel's daughter, was there to meet the child Jesus. The holy Anna was noted for her piety and was venerated by the people because of her great age. Simeon and Anna are thus representatives of the Old Testament, gathered to celebrate the happy coming of the child who was to renew the face of the earth. Guess what we have here? A passing of the baton. You see, once again, our theme today. Now, the solemn presentation of Christ in the house of God was celebrated in early times. Several learned writers, among them Pope Benedict XIV, are of the opinion that the feast was instituted by the apostles themselves. 
There is no doubt that the event itself was solemnly commemorated in the Church of Jerusalem by the end of the 4th century. But the feast at the time had no proper name. It was simply called the 40th day after the Nativity. From Jerusalem, the observance of the feast spread throughout the entire church and was celebrated on February 14th. When the feast of the Nativity was transferred from January 6th to December 25th, the presentation was also transferred to February 2nd. Now, did you notice that? Did you catch that? When the Nativity was transferred from January 6th to December 25th, it used to be on January 6th, actually. It was a celebration both of his birth and theophany, his baptism. It kind of all came together in the very early years of the church. Now, the feast is known under two names, the presentation of the Lord and the meeting, referred to the encounter of the child Jesus with Simeon and Anna. In the Latin rite, the feast is called the Purification and is counted as a feast of the Blessed Virgin. The Byzantine rite reckons this feast among those of our Lord, calling it the presentation of our Lord in honor of our Savior, who this day was brought to the temple. Now, here we have that interesting breathing with both lungs, a great example of how the East and the West celebrates the same feast, the same event, but in different ways, with a different emphasis, as we just read here. The Latin rite sees this as a feast of the Virgin Mary. The Byzantine rite sees it as a feast of the Lord. Either way, you arrive at the same point. It is a point of presenting, of once again, of epiphany, presenting the Lord, just as he was at his nativity, at his baptism, at the epiphany when the wise men came. Once again, he's being presented and received, but also he is encountering at the same time, encountering us human beings in this intimate, special way as seen through his encounter with Simeon and the, the prophetess Anna. So we have now the passing of the baton between the Old Testament and the New Testament and between the descending action of our Lord and his ascending. So hopefully you've received that baton successfully and you're off and running. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. This is Doug Keck, EWTN President and Chief Operating Officer. This is Bishop Ferdinand Cherie, Auxiliary Bishop of New Orleans. This is Jerry Usher, co-host of Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. Thanks for listening to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!